lot of the words right in that song just come uh, right out of the passage that we're going to be looking at today. We have been uh, working through the book of 1 Peter, so if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and get that out and open up to the book of 1 Peter. If you do forget to bring a Bible with you when you come, you can always grab one off the shelf back there when you walk in. We'll put the words on the screen as well, though. But if you remember, if you've been here, or maybe just a reminder for you if you have, and and just to keep you, get you up to date if you have not been here, going through the book of 1 Peter, which is a letter written by the Apostle Peter to a group of elect exiles living in Asia Minor. It's written in about 62 A.D. And he tells these people, hey, I know that you're going through trials. They were going through trials because they were experiencing a bit of persecution and the suffering that came with it. And he was telling them, that their trials were both necessary and temporary, while also reminding them that in the midst of their trials, one thing that they needed to do is to keep their minds set on and their eyes fixed on, remembering the privileges that have been given to them by God through Christ. He reminds them that they are people who have been born again. They've been born again to a living hope. That they're people who have a future inheritance kept in heaven for them. That's being guarded as even they're being guarded until they're finally saved in the last day. He reminds them also that in the midst of this world that they're living in where they feel very out of place, he tells them, you need to be holy. You need to be different from those other people. And so be holy because God is holy. And one of the ways that he calls them to be holy is they're supposed to love one another like nobody else is loving one another. And that's what we hit on last week. And so now this week we're going to be in 1 Peter 2, 4 through 10. And the big idea, you notice in your bulletin, we put in the bulletin an outline. uh, And just to help you follow along maybe and then some application questions because we don't want you to just hear the word. We want you to obey uh, and apply the word. And so we've got some questions to help you do that. But you notice that the big idea for today is very simple. is this. Those who believe in Jesus are given a new identity. Those who believe in Jesus are given a new identity. That's the big idea today. But you'll notice the outline is a little bit funky. Um, I really like, I'm kind of a nerd, and maybe some of you are with me, in that you like things like statistical analysis and logic and reason and like a linear flow of thought and outlines and spreadsheets. Anybody amen with me on that one? You like that kind of stuff? All right. Okay. That's why when I come to Scripture and I'm reading like one of Paul's letters, and that's the way that Paul writes, I really like that. And then I come to something like Peter, and it's kind of hard for me. Because Peter doesn't really write that way. Peter, again, we believe that every word of Scripture is inspired by God, breathed out by God, but through human authors, so using their unique styles. And Peter, as you can imagine from his personality reading in the Gospels, he kind of all over the place. So, so he doesn't have like one line of thought, moves to the next line of thought, moves to the next line of thought. He just goes down a bunch of rabbit trails. He goes down like partway, then he comes back, and then he hits another one, but then he goes back to that one, and he's just kind of all over the place. And so to help us maybe understand what he's saying, all that he's saying, he's saying some great things in 1 Peter 2, 4 through 10. 
and the outline is going to actually kind of have us hopping around. We're going to cover every verse, but we're going to hop around so that we can go all the way down one rabbit trail before we go down to the next one. Does that make sense? But we're going to see that in the end, all of these things, who we were, who we are, and who he is and what he's done, they're all tied together. So we're going to see that. Peter does a great job of helping us see that. So if you're able to open up your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 2, and also if you're able to, would you please stand as we read God's word this morning. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. This is God's word. It says this, As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you Yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Pray now that for those that are in here, who have trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior, those who have been born again. We can relate to the people that Peter is writing to. I pray that you would remind us, as you reminded them through Peter, who we are. So easy to forget. So God, remind us this morning as we look more deeply at this passage. And for those that are here this morning, Father, who have not yet responded to Jesus by trusting in Him. I pray that there might be something that they hear today that Your Holy Spirit would use to soften their hearts and give them a new heart, that they too might be born again and receive a new identity through faith in Jesus. Only You can accomplish that. So I pray that You would do that now as we look at Your Word. In Jesus' name, Amen. And be seated. So we're going to begin with who we were and who they still are. Peter, remember, is writing to a group of people who are elect exiles. And he's writing to a group of people who are now something that they didn't used to be. Okay, So he's writing to a group of people who are now something that they didn't used to be. And so he's writing to them, reminding them of a couple of things. One is... Remember who you used to be, and remember who many people still are, okay? And so we're going to look at that first. Verses 7 to 8 is where we see some of this most clearly. Verses 7 to 8 said this, the honor is for you who believe, 
Okay, so there's two groups. There's those who believe in Jesus, and then this one, those who do not believe. And then he says of them, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. He's quoting an Old Testament passage, and then he quotes another one saying, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. So he's talking about one group of people, and he's saying there's one group of people out there in the world. They existed in Peter's day. They were living all around them. They exist in our day. We're living all around them. Some of them are here among us this morning, and they are those who don't believe in Jesus. He's contrasting those who believe with those who don't believe. And there are those, he says, that don't believe. And those who don't believe, what they're doing by not believing is they are rejecting Jesus. Because Jesus is the cornerstone, and he refers to Jesus as the cornerstone that has been rejected by some. And they see Jesus, rather than seeing him as a cornerstone, there are many, a cornerstone on which to, you know, a cornerstone would be used to build everything else on. There are some among us this morning, me being one of them, who by God's grace have seen the light so that, I'm building my life on the cornerstone of Jesus. We as a church, that's what we're doing. We're building our church on Jesus, the chief cornerstone. But not everybody trusts in Jesus as the cornerstone. Some reject him. And so to him, to them, many see him as a stone of stumbling. The path to eternal life goes through Jesus And so there's really two options that we see here in verses 7 and 8. We see it all throughout Scripture that you can trust in Jesus as the cornerstone upon which everything else is built. Or you can reject Jesus, choosing not to believe in Jesus. And he will cause you to trip up because he is the only way. So to him, to some, he is just a stone of stumbling. And he's saying, Peter's saying to them, listen, remember, you're different than that. That's who you used to be. But you're not there anymore. And then he also reminds them a little bit more in verse 10. He tells them, once you were not a people, and once you had not received mercy. He's reminding the people that he's writing to, saying, listen, you weren't always who you are now. Remember who you used to be. You didn't believe. You rejected Jesus. You were once not a people You were once people who had not received God's mercy. All the things that he's told them so far, that they're born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, that they have a future inheritance waiting for them. All these good things, he said, one time you didn't have that. One time you had not received God's mercy. All of those things came to you by God's mercy. And so there was a time when you hadn't received God's mercy. So you didn't have any of that. But now you have it. And that's what he's going to get to next. There's just a little bit about who you once were, and then there's a lot more about who they are now. It's good for us to know who we are now. Something's changed. Peter is writing to elect exiles, people who are something different now than they always were. He's writing to the church, and he's writing to those who, it says in verse 4, as you come to him. He's writing to those who have come to Jesus. Those who have, according to verses 6 and 7, believed in Jesus. But he tells them this. Let's look at verse 5. We want to know who we are 
If you're somebody who has trusted in Jesus, here's who you are. It says, you yourselves are like living stones being built up together as a spiritual house. A spiritual house, that's the Old Testament terminology for the temple. Right? So the temple was this, this place that existed still in Peter's day. It hadn't been destroyed yet. But there was another temple during the time of the Old Testament, and it was the place where God's people would go, and that's where God's presence dwelt. And people would go there, and that temple was there to point people to God. In the Old Testament, that was a a physical building, a temple, and in the New Testament, the church, we know, is not a building, literally. It is a group of people, but it's a group of people wherein Jesus dwells through the Holy Spirit. Right? And so now we are, like the temple was, built together into something that points people to God. And we're, there's not just a few guys from one tribe who get to be priests in the temple, like there were in the Old Testament. But instead, he says in verse 5, he says, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. All believers are built together into this temple, this spiritual house that is to point people to God. All believers from any tribe or nation are now included in these stones that are supposed to be built up to point to something. I want to just pause and kind of give some application of this. It's a privilege to be called living stones. It's a privilege to be called living stones like we are here. Because when you believed in Jesus, something happened in you individually. You know that, right? And Peter's hit on that. He's calling them those that were born again. If you've trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior, you have been born again. That happens to you individually. You have an inheritance waiting for you. But we're also told here that we become like living stones. You weren't just saved so that you could go to heaven. You were saved to be a part of something here and now that is the church. You're saved into something. All who are saved are saved into the body of Christ. They, they become a part of the body of Christ when they're born again. And it says that we're supposed to be like living stones who are built up together to build a spiritual house. Rocks in and of themselves and farmers that are right now after planting going to be picking rocks out of their field could tell you that rocks in and of themselves while they're sitting in the field are not all that beautiful. You don't, you don't come to this season of rock picking saying, oh, those beautiful rocks. I got to go get me some of those, right? Like they're actually, they're, in, they're not all that beautiful when they're alone, but They could be taken and used in some sort of landscaping project or something like that that could be created to make something much more beautiful than each of those rocks is on their own. You know what I think? I think that if these had been available to Peter at the time, he might have used a different illustration. Rather than using living stones, he might have used Legos, I think, maybe, as an illustration. Because he would have said, listen, this, this block in and of itself... Nothing of, of great beauty, but these blocks are meant to be interlocked with one another, right? There's these little nubby things on the top and little holes on the bottom, and they stick together really well, right? And there's a purpose for that, that these are to be 
built up into something that could become much more beautiful than any one of them is alone. And so, Elijah, could you bring that up? Elijah, I contracted with Elijah this week uh, to, to build for us uh, something much more beautiful. But all he used was these things. He used a bunch of these things. Thank you, Elijah. And he constructed, he had a team working with him, I believe, and I paid them with a box of cosmic brownies. Uh, and and he, uh, he had a team working with him to construct something that really is quite beautiful, right? Something that, that is just a bunch of individual bricks, but as they come together with the design that, that the designer had in mind, it creates something quite beautiful. Uh, you can come and look at this later because this is good. This is way better than I imagined it being. They've got some windows and doors. They've got a, a white cornerstone, it seems, here on the building. And then there's this diversity of colors. You notice that? That, that it's not all one color because, because as God calls people to the church, remember that we don't, we always talk about like, oh, I'm going to go choose a church. We don't really, in the end, we don't choose the church. That's God's work. And so we don't get to pick who else? We don't get to pick who our brothers and sisters are. Uh, God picks that, and we just got to learn how to love them. But there's something beautiful about a group of people with all sorts of different backgrounds and quirks and weird personalities and weaknesses and strengths and sins all coming together because all we have in common is that we have been born again. And we've been called now to be living stones who will be built up together to make something much more beautiful than any of us are alone. So there's a lot of diversity here, and that's beautiful. And there's also, you notice, there's some more work to be done, right? If you turn to the back of this, th- there's a whole bunch more bricks. I could, I, could give, I could give Elijah and his team some of these bricks, and they could add more on because there are more always who can be added. And as we add more bricks, the, 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 the picture of what the church looks like becomes even more beautiful, right? So there's a lot of reasons that I think Peter might have used Legos. Uh, as an example, an illustration of what was here. That the church, as you're born again, part of your identity is you're called to be living stones who need to be built up together. The idea of a Christian not participating in the life of a local church is totally foreign to the New Testament. They couldn't imagine somebody who claims to have been born again, trusting in Jesus as Lord and Savior, not functioning as a part of the body of Christ. We're called to be living stones built up together as a spiritual house. This is a good illustration of that, I think, are living stones. And then, and then one more modern would be the illustration of Legos. But that's not all. In verses 5 and 6 of Exodus chapter 19, you can go ahead and mark that. Exodus 19, 5 and 6. God is talking to his covenant people, his Old Testament covenant people, Israel, and he uses all sorts of terms. You can go ahead and read that if you want. But now he takes those terms that he used for his people in the Old Testament, and he's going to now apply them to the church in the New Testament. So it's in Exodus 19, 5 and 6, he says, this is who you are. And now in 1 Peter, Peter uses many of those same exact words to describe the church. So let's look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. You want to know who you are? Here's what it says. Verse 9, but you are a chosen race. A chosen race. Now initially, when God, when God uh, chose to, to, 
to work through one man named Abraham and told him that from him a great nation would come and that through that nation he would bless the world. But God's promises to Abraham have been fulfilled in Christ so that now people from every tongue and tribe and nation are are a part of something much bigger than themselves. They are part of a chosen race. This is good news for the exiles that Peter's writing to because remember, they felt very out of place where they were living. They'd been taken from their homes. They were living scattered in these other places that weren't home to them. And he was reminding them, listen, you've got something in common with a group of other people. You are now part of a chosen race through your faith in Jesus. You're part of the chosen race. And then he says that they are a royal priesthood. Did you see that in verse 9? But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. In the Old Testament, the priests were those who were called and set apart by God Men of one tribe uh, who were called and set apart by God in order to serve those who were separated from God's presence more than the priests were. That's what the church is called to do now. We're called a royal priesthood. All believers serving and functioning together as priests, seeking to reach those who are separated from God by, by pointing them to the great high priest who is Jesus. A royal priesthood, and then he calls them a holy nation. What does that mean? He says, you are a holy nation. They're living in a bunch of different places. He's not talking about like a geopolitical nation. He's calling the church a holy nation, reminding them that they are a people set apart for God. They're supposed to be holy. They live a different way. Their primary allegiance is first of all to God before it is to any other nation that they find themselves living in at this point. This is important for these exiles living in Asia Minor because they're beginning to feel the effects of persecution. And it's like Paul is saying to them, you might not feel like you belong here in Asia Minor, but remember that you belong to a different kingdom, a holy nation. That's good for us to know too. By the way, he's not referring to the United States of America here. He's not calling us a holy nation. We are not a holy nation, but the church is. So one of, the, one of the application points of that is, is while we ought to be concerned about the moral behavior of all those in our nation, we ought to be a bit more concerned. It's, it's the church that's called to be a holy nation, correct? So we ought, to, we ought to be paying attention to the church of Jesus Christ, all those who claim to trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. We ought to be living lives that are different from the rest of the world. We're the ones called to be a holy nation. That's what our world needs is for us to be holy. What our nation and every nation needs is for the church to start being the church, start being obedient to Jesus and being holy. We're a holy nation within whatever nation we happen to be living in. And then the final thing in verse 9 is he says that we are a people for his own possession. When we trust in Christ, we get, we get everything belongs to God, right? All things belong to him. But we are called a people for his own special possession when we come to faith in Christ because we are adopted as one of his. And then in verse 10, finally he says this, that we are a people and we are recipients of mercy. Remember earlier he said, once you were not a people, but now you are a people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Church, we need to know who we are. If we think church is just an event that we go to, like we're going to church, 
If we think church is just a building that we meet in, that it's happening here at the church, then we're going to have a pretty skewed idea of what the church is supposed to do. Before we understand what the church is supposed to do, we need to understand who the church is. We need to know what our identity is. Church is not an event to go to or a building to gather in. Church is what we are. All those who come to faith in Jesus, all those who are born again, are the church. We're like living stones who need to be built up into a spiritual house. We're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. And who we are affects what we do. What we do, and we're going to hear a lot of that in Peter, what we're supposed to do. We just get a little bit of it here. I'm just going to give you a little bit here because we're going to get a lot more in the coming weeks. But he does touch on it. Remember, Peter kind of goes down a lot of rabbit trails. And in the middle of telling us who we are, he does tell us what we're supposed to do. Did you see that in the passage? In verse 4, it starts out, as you come to him. That's one thing that believers do. They come to Jesus, not just one time, but repeatedly come to Jesus. And then it says we offer spiritual sacrifices in verse 5. Verse 6 says we believe in him. That's what the church does. Ongoing, we don't just believe in him once. We continually believe in him. But I want to focus on one thing that he says that we're supposed to do. In light of who we are. Notice how in verse 9, he says all these incredible things. Hey, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own special possession. And then we got one of those very important so that statements. Why has God made us? We didn't used to be these things. And now by his mercy, we are all of these things. So what? Well, it says, why? That we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I love how Peter goes right from telling the believers about who they are now to telling them, well, this is what you do. If you're the chosen race, if you're the royal priesthood, if you're the holy nation, if you're a people for God's own special possession, then here's what you do. You spend your life proclaiming the excellencies of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's what the church is about. That's what the church does. Among many other things, which we're going to see in the coming weeks, the church is about a group of people proclaiming the excellencies of the one who called us out of the darkness, the old life that we used to live, our life of sin. He calls us out of that into his marvelous light. That's what the worship team just sang about. It said, my dead heart now is beating. I had a heart that was dead spiritually, and now it's beating. My deepest stains, they're now clean. And so your breath fills up my lungs, and I just cry out, now I'm free. Now I'm free. We proclaim the excellencies of him by singing together. That's one of the ways that we proclaim his excellencies, by singing together, by speaking words in which as we talk to other people, as we talk about stuff in our home, we're proclaiming the excellencies of God. Are you talking about that in your home? Do you in your home talk about how excellent God is. Do you celebrate who He is? Do you praise Him for who He is in your home, at your workplace, in your neighborhood? That's what we do. Not just when we gather together, but when we separate as well. All right, and remember I said that all this is tied in with one thing. And it's all tied in with who He is and what He does. 
you see that come up throughout the whole passage. We see that in verse, remember in verse 5, he calls us living stones. But I want you to look back really quickly at verse 4. Verse 4 says this, As you come to him, Jesus, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. We are called living stones because Jesus is the living stone. Right? He's the living stone, and that's why, so we're like living stones, but Jesus, first of all, our identity as living stones is tied to the fact that Jesus is a living stone. He was rejected by men, but chosen and precious to God. That's good for us to know. He's also called a cornerstone. We saw that in verse 6, that it says, It stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying a stone in Zion, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. That's why Jesus can say boldly and truthfully in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Because God the Father sent Jesus the Son to be the cornerstone upon which everything else would be built. God says, I'm sending in Zion a stone, a cornerstone. And that's Jesus. Everything is built on him. But then he's also a stumbling stone to some, as we saw in verses 7 and 8. He's a merciful God. In verses 9 and 10, we saw who calls us out of darkness and makes us his own. All of who we are is wrapped up in who Jesus is and what he's done. Our new identity that we receive comes from Him. From Him and through His work. It's all about Him. And so what we're going to do today to close is we're going to close by singing a song that proclaims His excellencies. We're supposed to do that, right? That's what it says right here. It says that those who have been called out of darkness into His marvelous light, we should be proclaiming His excellencies. That's what we ought to do. And so we're going to close by singing a song that we've sung before. But before we do that, I'm going to actually just read to you the words of the song. Because sometimes as you're singing, you get distracted by notes and all sorts of other things. And we don't even think about what we're singing. I want you to listen to this. Here's what we're going to sing. This song celebrates the new identity that we've been given because we trust in Jesus. And it's all by His grace. Listen to what we're going to sing. I once was lost. In darkest night, yet thought I knew the way. The sin that promised joy in life had led me to the grave. So he's just acknowledging this is who we once were a people who had not received mercy, lost in darkest night. We thought we knew the way, but the sin that promised joy in life had led us to the grave. I had no hope that you would own a rebel to your will. And if you had not loved me first, I would refuse you still. We need to think about that. Do you ever think about that? Where would I be if it weren't for God's mercy? Where would I be if I hadn't, if he hadn't loved me first, if he had not called me out of darkness into his marvelous light? Think of the kind of darkness I'd still be living in. And then he says this, but as I ran my hell-bound race, we're going to sing this, but as I ran my hell-bound race, think of that picture, indifferent to the cost, you looked upon my helpless state 
and led me to the cross. And I beheld God's love displayed. You suffered in my place. You bore the wrath deserved for me. Now, all I know is grace. Right? I'm not who I used to be. We're not who we used to be, church. And it's all because of what He's done. By God's grace, through our faith and the person and work of Jesus, we have a new identity. And so then we're going to sing the last verse together, which is this. Now, Lord, I would be yours alone and live so all might see that the strength to follow your commands could never come from me. Oh, Father, use this ransomed life in any way you choose. This is us just surrendering ourselves, saying, listen, you've given me this new identity, so now I want you to use this ransomed life. You bought it, you use it however you want. You own it. We're bought with a price. Father, use this ransomed life in any way you choose, and let my song forever be my only boast is you. That's what we're going to sing. That's what it means to proclaim His excellencies. That that's maybe a song that rolls around in our head and that we find ways in our relationships, in our home, in our neighborhood, in our school, in our workplaces to proclaim the excellencies of the One who called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. The One who made us into something that we could not have made ourselves into. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for Your work. Thank You for sending Your Son to be the cornerstone. And Father, if there are people here for whom right now Jesus is not the chief cornerstone, that they are not building their life on Jesus, they're just doing their life and maybe acknowledging Jesus, but they haven't built their life on Him, God, I pray that today might be the day in which Jesus is no longer for them a stumbling stone, but He is the cornerstone. That they decide to to trust in Him because He's the one who bore the wrath for us. He stood in our place. The only way that we can stand together as a church and proclaim Your excellencies, God, is because You are the one who has loved us first. You're the one who's called us out of darkness into light. We were the ones running a hell-bound race. And You are the one who led us to the cross. We thank you for your grace. And as we sing this, I pray that it would be the cry of our hearts that together we might proclaim your excellency shown to us in the cross of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.